Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR professional. Hello, Em. Hey, Shell. I'm Emily Bowen, and I work in recruitment for a business called Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. Today on the show, we have Rowan Dredge. He's back hanging out with us. And Rowan is a guy with some big ideas. Do you know who else has big ideas, Shell? Our listeners have big ideas, but so does Newcastle Permanent. They're working to deliver Australia's favourite banking experience. Visit newcastlepermanent.com.au for banking that's refreshingly simple. So on this episode, we are hanging out with Rowan. Ro, great to see you in the flesh. It's so good to be back as well. Thank you for having me. I tell you what, the last episode that we did, so let's call it How Promotable Am I Part 1, now that we know that we're doing Part 2, I have to say, I'm calling it, I feel like I got the best feedback on any episode we've done um, after that one. It was so good. Totally. We had so many people messaging us saying how good that was and how good your content was. So, we needed to bring you back. And I'm happy to be back. I actually, I'm really pleased that it helped a whole lot of people. That's what's really great. Now, I got I got a lot of feedback as well, made a whole bunch of new connections on the line. And uh, that was just a, a really useful thing to do. So, thank you for having me for that conversation and oh, for this one. It's so cool. I think if you haven't listened to part one, I'd highly recommend that you do head back there. It was just earlier this season. I think today we haven't actually recorded it yet, so I'm not sure, but I think it will still make sense without listening, but I reckon it will make more sense if you do head back and listen. Yeah, and if we think about part one, it's about the concept of how we become promotable and why promotable is important over being promoted. And so today, what we're going to dig into is those practical elements under um, each of these four areas that Rowan's going to speak to in a sec, where you can become more promotable in your job, in your role. So we're going to get real practical. Yeah, deep dive. Yeah, it's really exciting to do that. And that we talked about that in the first episode where the difference is being promotable is something that you can be responsible for, but wanting to get promoted kind of puts the energy and the responsibility and almost the onus on, on things that you can't control. And I think that's a big change. People want uh, people want career self-reliance, self-reliance yes. which, was, uh, which was a really great a really great addition to that conversation. And what you're speaking to there, Rowan, is so much about mindset, right? So flicking the mindset of I'd like to be promoted versus I want to be promotable. So let's dig straight in and talk about this infinity loop that you uh, have come up with as part of this concept and and start with mindset. Yeah, thank you so much. So the master model is about the four parts of mindset, skill set, teamwork and network. And I wrote it as an infinity loop because you never graduate from the idea of being promotable. You never graduate from taking responsibility from making a better contribution. And the idea behind mindset, I think, is really important. So when we're talking about having a promotable mindset, 
We're talking about taking responsibility for the way I think that distinguishes me in the marketplace or distinguishes me in the environment that I'm in. I'm a big believer in the quality of our life is a direct reflection of the quality of our thoughts and our thinking. And that is something that sits under the surface. It only ever typically comes out when it gets challenged or or pressured or stressed because then those deep parts of who we are come straight out. Our beliefs, our, our values, what we think is important, what we believe other people should be doing. And more often than not, unfortunately in environments, it comes out in unhelpful ways. It comes out in conflict or gossip or, you know, water cooler or the Zoom water cooler, however it looks. Or I'm even thinking the whole misery breeds company. So if you get stuck in that echo chamber of negative thoughts or unproductive thoughts and then before you know it, it sort of feeds itself. Yeah, but we all have self-limiting beliefs as well that it's sometimes hard to diagnose. So I love what you're saying that it's it's difficult to tell until you're challenged. So how do we, I guess, even identify those things? In, in a way, I mean, we, we made the promise at the start of this conversation that this is a really practical uh, part too, but here's a philosophical part <laughs> to the practice. How do you know what you don't know? And that's what this is about. This whole idea of thinking is how do you take responsibility for things you are not aware of yet? And that's the key. And so there are three big steps. And we talk about, I tell, you've got to assess your thoughts, you've got to adopt a growth mindset, and you've got to choose... Uh, how to embrace those two parts into your identity moving forward. Dr. Phil, a long time ago, said this phrase. He said, how's that working for you? So if you're listening to this conversation and there are some things that are not going well for you in at work, life or leadership, then the question is, what sits under the surface of your behaviours? What sits under the surface of the things that are just rolling over day in and day out, the disciplines or lack thereof, because those are the things that you've got to become aware of. What is it that you truly believe about your career? What do you believe you can be promotable? Or do you believe you're destined for a standard job in industry X or Y? And so starting to assess that and working out what is? What are the areas that are creating frustration? What are the areas that I'm not happy with? What are the areas that I wish were different? Why do I feel like I keep missing out on this or that? And those sorts of things become important. And I think when, when you're saying, why do I miss out on this or that? It is helpful to uh, go back and assess what are some of the things I've seen, like the repeated patterns. So say if I've been overlooked for a job multiple times or I've interviewed for a job and not been successful multiple times, well, what is that? like trend telling me. Or maybe even what, uh, and this I think it's quite confronting when you're looking in the mirror at yourself, but what are the things that people have told me or multiple people have said to me, maybe they've used their own words, but what are the messages that I'm hearing over and over again? I think that's important. I've done an exercise before where I've needed to sit and write down my limiting beliefs and that is also very confronting because we can have some thoughts in our mind that, It's like, would you say that to your best friend? No, you probably wouldn't, but you say it to yourself. And when you see it written down and it's come from you writing it down just in your own personal space, it stings. That's exactly what we're talking about, the the idea of self-leadership. So in the work that I do in consulting, we, we start the whole conversation by saying you've got to know yourself to lead yourself. 
And the first place you start is looking at what's under the rocks when you lift it up and things that scurry away. And, you know, they're not great days. Like, let's just be really honest with each other right now. When you discover something about yourself that you really do need to acknowledge is a limiting belief or it's actually something that you believe but you don't want to believe, those sorts of things become really important. And one of the ways to do it is to do an audit on your words, on your language. Mm. What are you saying? Oh, I don't, I don't perform well in an interview. Okay, say that for three years. You're probably not going to perform well in an interview. But say that you're a legend and everybody should not just hire you but promote you in two weeks is probably living under the same level of delusion at a different end of the yes. spectrum. And so these sorts of things become really important. What I would invite you to do is to actually sit down with somebody who sounds and behaves like the kind of person you want to become and ask them some questions about mindset. We'll pick it up about skill set in the, in the next part, but ask them about their thinking. Ask them about how they challenged what they thought, what their values are, how they found out what they were. You can do values inventories and various other things that help you figure all that out. And it just makes a big difference to whether or not you think you can perform at that point in time. It's why when you talk to elite athletes, the mindset part of their athleticism is really, really important because if you're going to be an Olympian, you need to believe you're worthy of a gold medal. And if all of those things that come into play, you've got to go through those changes and through those challenges and that becomes really important. Would you say you also need to believe that not only are you capable of it and deserving of it, but also believe it's going to take hard work? I guess just to keep that spectrum in check so that you're not thinking, oh, it's just going to be handed to me on a silver platter, you actually have some of those corresponding beliefs as well? Look, I, I completely agree. I'm not a person that just says my, my the construct of the way I see the world isn't you think it and then you send it out into the universe like a message in a bottle and then it comes back to you and it hasn't cost you anything. In fact, <laughs> the good news and the bad news of Promotable is this is really hard work. It takes a significantly higher level of responsibility to decide that you're going to be the person of choice because you've decided to do the work. Mm. You, you speak straight into that second part of the mindset piece uh, where we talk about the idea of adopting a growth mindset. It's not my work. It's not original work, but it's significant, the work of Carol Dweck, where she makes the distinction between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And an introductory understanding of it is simply, are you prepared to let any new information, any new experiences, any new parts or relationships along the journey, change what you think about things right now to actually empower you moving forward. And if the answer is no, then you've probably got a fixed mindset. If the answer is yes, you've probably got a more orientated towards a growth mindset. And those things are important, particularly when you're developing in your career, you're beginning to work out your passions, your preferences, your superpowers, I think, are really fantastic. There are things that you do, both of you, that are world-class. How do we call them up? How do we name them and identify them? Identify them? And that's where mentors become important as well. And if I think about this infinity concept and the growth mindset piece, and I love that book, uh, Mindset, 
it's about that ongoing journey. Like you never get there if you're early in your career or if you've been working for 30 years. In um, It doesn't stop. It's continual. And I guess I'm curious, Rowan, to know how do you keep that energy? Because that's hugely taxing, I, I would imagine. But oh, what And can I say, speaking from experience, some days it's really hard to have a growth mindset. Yeah, that's like right. Sometimes really I just want to have my ideas and they're fixed <laughs> yeah. and I don't want them I to just, change. I just want to be a sook. <laughs> yeah, so what, what do, how do you keep the energy? Well, well I, think, I think acknowledging the reality of it is really important. Like, I mean, we, we have a working week and we have a weekend. So maybe there's something that you can actually do that says, all right, for 24 hours, you can actually give yourself some space, be kind to yourself, have a safe place and a safe person to go and, and, and complain to and unload and do all those sorts of things. Because hanging on to those things is just as me- mentally unhealthy. And so those sorts of things, it doesn't mean you never have a bad day. It just means you know what to do with a bad day. And that's what's really important. And I think those sorts of things become, what my hope is with this idea is that we actually become more embracing of humanity and more embracing of authenticity and more embracing of the bad days because we know on the other side of it, we actually have the ability to learn from it and then progress through it. Well, you're calling it, I mean, you're quarantining it to one day every now and then, every so often, and it's got that, I guess, that's finite in that it's got a bookend either side and you do something with it that's productive later and then it's the exception to the rule. And those are the sorts of things that work. I think it was John Wooden that said, he's a coach, he said, if we lose, you can be disappointed for 24 hours, but after that we get back on the horse and get on with the job. And I think those disciplines are really important. They really are. And psychologists would tell you if we don't appropriately deal with the, uh, the, the, the challenges that come to us in life, then they will, they will mount up. So we've talked about growth mindset. What's the other aspect? Because you said there's three parts of, of this mindset piece. What's the next one? The last one is identity. And I picked this up again from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And he makes this brilliant distinction between I want to be a writer or I want to get promoted to I am an author, I am healthy, I am a runner. And so the way that he, and again, I'm simplifying this, his book's great, his email's fantastic, but essentially it's shifting when you go through assessing growth to identity, you're actually going through a process where you can get to a place where you can go, I am promotable or I am insert the thing that you want to be there. And that when you define it or describe it as an identity piece, as opposed to an activity or as opposed to something that you rely on someone else to give you, it's significantly more empowering because it begins to capture the essence of who you are. And that's the power of mindset. It's either going to trip you up and you don't know it and you're not sure why, or you're going to stare the ugly stuff in the mirror, navigate your way through it, and then reshape your identity around a more empowering part of, of what life and your future can be. And I mean, you referenced the idea of the infinity loop. I've reinvented my career in the last four years. And the things that 
I'm talking to our listeners about, I'm doing right now as part of the process and the experience. So I'm with you on the the bad days. I'm with you on the energy. I'm, I'm with you on looking in the mirror saying, you know, after all this time on the planet, I should know that. Uh, this is These are the sorts of things you keep learning. But the identity piece is important. Very. And I love how you go through first assess, then you move into, I want to grow so that those limiting beliefs, I can actually shift them and change them and then get to the identity part of actually, you know what? I am promotable or I am an author, not I want to be a writer. So I, I love that row. It's just such a, a shift, I think, in how we, how we think and how we work. Let's move to the next one of the infinity loop, skill set. Talk to us about this. So a long time ago, once it's like the start of a storybook. <laughs> Settle in. Everybody just, I want you to see the- We the, need the, the Star Wars the music. The Star Wars music going and we've got the, we've got the flat yellow We text. had a Star Wars reference last time too. Oh yeah, you're losing me. This happens all the time. I'm like, it's not me. I think I, I live I live my life through mo- through movie scenes, and so uh, there's a, there's a whole lot of different ones that uh, that we'll go through, but Warren and I would have said this uh, last time because one of the most seminal books I've ever read, Warren Bennis and, and Bert Nannis, their book Leaders: Strategies for Taking Charge, said this before good to great was even a thing. They said the thing that separates a good leader from a great leader is the ability to learn new skills. You just get better and you get better. And one of my online mentors who I never met but I still listen to today, Jim Rowan, said it's it's not about what you think you should be paid. It's about the value that you bring to the hour that you work. So I should be paid X dollars an hour. You go, no, 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 no. How much value do you, do you bring to that hour? And the way you make yourself more valuable is by growing in your skills. And the number one mistake that we all make, we're brilliant at making it, is we think we can do more in a shorter period of time around skill development mm. than we think we can. 100%. I feel like this is me every day. <laughs> and I'm not doing much at the moment with a newborn. <laughs> You're doing heaps. Oh, yeah. thanks. Doing one of the most important jobs oh, in the world. Oh, that's right. That's right. 100%. But again, that comes back to your tendencies. So I, I have a, an incredibly talented wife. Uh, as at the point of this recording, we've been together 26 years, married 24, and she is a high achiever in every area of life. And so our conversations are very, uh, are, are very animated when it comes to how much do you think you can achieve? Because I don't, I don't want to take away the dream. I don't want to take away the commitment to persevering and how diligent you are and how brilliant you are at everything. And, uh, at the same time, let's just look at what's available. Let's let's look at what's available in terms of time, energy, uh, sponsorship, resource, any of the things that come with us. And then what is the most effective thing that we can be doing with that time to get better? And the first thing that we've got to do is actually identify the skills that are either required or desired. Mm. And I think those are two big ideas because one lets you have a little bit of agency over it and go, actually, you know what? I'd really like to get good at that. And the other is um, I'm in a job and (laughs) my current employer is expecting that. I better get good at it. You're nodding. Yep. It makes total (laughs) sense to me. Uh, And I think partly because I reflect on um, situations where I have brilliant people that I'm working with 
and they're really interested in something. And as their leader, I would love to allow them to be able to spend as much time as possible on that. But then in uh, what I'm also balancing is, but the business hasn't got a role for that available right now, or we just don't have that work. Uh, we have this other role that you're doing. And so it's trying to find that balance between bringing out the best in someone and what they want to be doing. But then this is the role we've got. And I think where I work, um, we are very good at building roles around people. You know, we won't pat ourselves on the back from everything and, and there aren't too many things. But one of the things that we'll have a humble brag about is building the roles around good people. But there is still a limit to that where you go, but the business just has a requirement and we've just got to get that done first. Um, so that was probably where the nodding was coming from. And I guess that's the distinction between required and desired because if we look at your job right now, wherever you're working, you might have required skills that you need to upskill in to further your career. But if then you're thinking long-term in like five, 10 years, I'd like to be in something totally different. And the desired skills I need for that are X, Y, and Z. And so having that distinction, Rowan, I think it's really important because you can almost write yourself a list of here's what I need now, but here's long-term what I'd love to be, be doing, those desired skills and they re- how they relate to that, rather than putting it all on your employer, I'd also like to do this and it's got no relevance to your job right now. That's right. And then you can have communication about that and opportunities can come up, but it, it's certainly that balance. So I, I also really like the distinction. See, I think we've got to release our employers of fulfilling our passion projects. Yeah. I, I think that's an important part of it. Unless we can align them, you know, do work you love and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> It's called work for a reason. Sometimes exactly. it's hard. <laughs> like, and, yeah, sometimes it's just got to be done. And in our consulting work, we actually use a distinction with leaders around that we call 70-30. If you're roughly doing 70% of your work in your sweet spot, then that is thoroughly sustainable for, for a long period of time. Less than that, it gets harder. More than that, more power to you, you know, mm. go in, enjoy every minute of it. I did not, I don't, I do not for one minute believe I was born to fill in paperwork, to take the bins out or to do anything practical whatsoever, right? That is just, that is, I don't know. <laughs> I love that taking the bins out is practical. <laughs> well, I'd separate that because it's, you know, it's not a gift or a joy, but I uh, do it every Tuesday. I don't like it either. I have a long driveway. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it's just got to be done and, and. Listen, listen very carefully. You have superpowers. This is what I love about life and leadership. I I look at my kids, 11 and nearly nine, and I see the things that are in them and I'm not even sure where they came from. And uh, it's just brilliant. And I believe, I really believe in the workplace. We've got to notice the great things people do and tell them. And we've got to tell them privately and we've got to tell them publicly. And when we can identify the skills that we need, So right now, look in your current workplace. If you were more valuable to that workplace in your role in a year's time, what three or four skills would add the most value to you in that environment? It could be in finance. It could be in, in coaching. It could be in sport. It could be in recruitment. It could be in HR. It could be in any area. It doesn't it doesn't actually matter. It's agnostic. What skills would give more value to your contribution? And this gets picked up in teamwork, which is why the loop goes round and round. Then you've got to put the effort in. 
And you'll hear me reference a number of, of, of books along the way in this, in this conversation because, you know, don't use all the brains you've got, but all the brains you can borrow. And so I've finished reading Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Her TED Talk is brilliant. It's six minutes long. Her book is even better. And she talks about the idea of being a gritty individual in the context of self-improvement and, and getting better. And it's hard work. She talks about all of, talks about mindset and values and beliefs and how that comes into the, the, the commitment to learning new skills. And then the thing you've got to understand with learning new skills, and we were talking about this before we, we started, is that there's a point where you need to acknowledge you are in complete deficit. Mm. In 1980, and this will kind of position me a little bit uh, in the demographic. 1980, I, I don't know when yeah. was that. Yeah, that was that was about tw- <laughs> 20 years before our listeners were born. So my my family moved from Victoria to Sydney, and I my my sporting career changed from AFL to rugby union. And I remember I'm the middle child of five, so my mum pulled up. Uh, and just opened up the door of the car and said, that's your team down there. And I, to, to this day, I remember walking down the grassy slope of Yattendon Oval in Borkham Hills and I walked towards the team that I was told was the under 10s and this was my team. And as I got slowly closer to the team, I began to realise that they were all wearing black shorts, but I had brown ones. This is the early 80s, people. Brown was <laughs> it was the way to go. And... Uh, but I didn't fit in. So immediately there was a disconnect there for me. And then I'd gone from playing all of my life, as short and as little as it was, to playing AFL, and now I'm playing a game where the ball can't go forwards. And I, I can now, even now, tell you what it felt like to have no idea what I was doing. And as career-orientated people, people with drive, people with determination, and as adults, we protect ourselves from mm. that feeling and I think we need to embrace it and we need to make it easier at work for people to feel what it feels to be in a skills deficit because it's only when we start there that we can work out that the ball goes backwards in order to go forwards. That is so good. That is so good. Feeling uncomfortable and I just, I can visually see you walking down that oval. <laughs> In and the going, brown shorts. And just being like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But It was we, overwhelming. Well, and we, you're right. We absolutely avoid those scenarios. Like I, I had a weird experience um, 12 months ago, just over, where I uh, went to Canada and I, it was a family holiday, which is the first time in a long time. So that, you know, brought with it its own challenges. Um, I decided to try snowboarding for the first time and that's fine. Usually I'm like pretty good at everything I have a go at. (laughs) Wasn't that good. Two and a half weeks later, still not that good. But what I realized in going through that process was that that was the first time probably in my adult life, certainly as long as I can remember, where I was trying to learn something from zero because all of a sudden I went, do you know what? Everything that we learn as an adult, or maybe that's generalization, but I'd like to say from my experience, everything I learned is just an extension of something I already knew. And that was the first time in as long as I could remember that I was going off a base of zero. So what advice would you give to, to our listeners about that? How did you embrace it? What did it feel like on the bad days? And how did you navigate through it? Yeah. Oh, look, it was interesting. So I think what I did 
I mean, I kept turning up. So I decided that I was still going to go out there every day, even though I got no better and I was still terrible at the end of it. So I'm not sure how good this advice is. But I think what I allowed myself to do as someone who generally prefers to be good at things, uh, I think I allowed myself really early to just accept that I was learning from zero and maybe this was that thing that I would just not get better at or, you know, it would be a real slow burn. But it was because I was fortunate enough to recognize early, oh, you just, you have nothing, no skills to go on here and that's okay. And I just took all that pressure off, I think. And that is okay. It's, it's, there's this epic book that I read by um, Whitney Johnson and it talks about the the learning curve that the most engaged you are in your job is when you're in a high growth, high discomfort area and zone. But you're like talking about that, it is uncomfortable. And then we we kind of pull back from that. But I think what we're saying today is really lean into it. Well, I guess I had, um, I'm just realizing I had my mindset right and I just kept showing up and I was working on my skill set, but the reason I kept showing up was because of my mindset. And determination and there was a payoff on the other side. And I think this this sort of segues us beautifully into that third part of skill set. So we're going, you've got to identify the goal, you've got to apply some grit, but then you need the right level of support. And this is where this is where leaders and bosses and managers come in. What are we doing in our role to release the people that we are caring for and that are reporting to us from the need to get it right every time the first time? The only place we do this is, is adulthood. If a child walks a wobbly half step and then falls down, we, we've got three generations of celebrating and then, and, but at work, if they send the email the wrong way, they should know better, but no one ever told them. And so I think we've got to reshape this a little bit and go, how am I the kind of leader that actually actively, actively helps people look at what needs to happen and how they can adjust their, their skill development and expect to fail along the way? Because what happens is at that dip of despair, when people are in that dark place where they feel like it's not going to get any better and their butt cheek hurts because that is the pain of learning to snowboard what do I do about it? And what happens is the boss lose con- con- loses confidence in you and you lose confidence in yourself and you quit too early. And that's not what skill development is about. Skill development is about leaning through the discomfort and that becomes a really important part of it. And I'll say one last thing, don't overcommit. Three or four things across the course of a year and you are a rock star five years from now a rock star. So good. Hey, we're going to need to take a break here and we'll be back in just a moment for the final two parts of this infinity loop. Money, property, careers, health, small business. We love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life. That's why we've made podcasts focus on a variety of topics. Check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, Gen Z money, and you to me, you to you, you to us, which is just about sexual and reproductive health. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we're back. Let's go straight into the third area, teamwork. Rowan? Hit us with it. So the infinity loop, mindset, skill set, teamwork, network. Mindset and skill set are all about things that we take responsibility for privately. We make the commitment to be thinking right, to be learning the new skills. Teamwork and network are things that we actually activate publicly. And the shift from skill set to teamwork is a shift from just developing yourself in a way that you are proud of, that adds more value, that increases your remuneration, that builds your brand and your career to actually a contribution to something bigger than yourself, where you realize that it is not all about you. And the idea of teamwork, and again, has three parts. Each parts of the, the master model have three uh, focuses in them. First of all is what's the team ad- objective? Focus on unity and navigate your way towards performance. And the idea behind team objective is all about realizing that it is we, not me. And that I am, I can honestly do more by functioning in a group that knows what it's about, that has a a solid, clear identity and is working towards something that we all believe in and recognizing that if I make everything I want subservient to the greater good, we can actually do more and go further faster. And if we think about that instead of my objectives, what's the team objective from the view of a boss or a manager, a boss or a manager, and then let's like look at, okay, what does it take to be promoted? A boss or a manager, if they're a good leader, wants a team player way more than a high, like an individual contributor who has that mindset of me over the team. Well, the point of being there is to achieve what the business needs you to achieve, which then flows down into each team achieving its objectives. We're not turning up to work to get the outcomes for you, Shelley, that you want in your personal life. That's right. I mean, it'd be be great, but that's not the the (laughs) case. That's not why we're there. And, And so I guess I'm interested, Rowan, because not all teams and not all leaders operate like that. So what do you do if, you, if you're in a team that has a lot of individual, like people who are like, this my, my needs, my desires over you or, or over and there? And that's Australia's culture too, yeah. at least here. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a really challenging question to answer in a short space of time. Uh, a couple of things that I would say, because we're speaking to millennial career. So let's start there. So number one, you can expect over the course of the five to 15 year period of your career for there to be some setbacks, for, for there to be some challenges and for some pretty bad bosses to come along your way. 
And uh, we talked about this in the first episode, the idea of, of bad boss and Michelle Giving's book. That, that with that in mind, you've got to make the distinction between is this something that I can navigate my way through for a period of time? How long do I need to do it for? Don't do anything at all. I'm on record over and over and over again saying you must never do anything that is um, harmful to your physical health, your mental health, anything that's unethical, illegal or immoral. Right? That's I'll go on record till the day that I die so that no one should be forced to do that and you should not be doing that because it will not go well for you. That doesn't mean having a bad day with a boss means you should just pack up and go home. It's actually the resistance and the strength and the reflection and the lessons that you learn in those challenges that can help shape you moving forward. And at an appropriate point in time, if you can no longer influence the environment or the people, give yourself permission to leave and remove yourself and take responsibility just like we talk about with this idea of promotable, take responsibility for changing the environment and the value that you bring there. And that can become a really important, empowering decision, I think. I love that. Let's flick it from being my objectives to what is the team objective. And you talked about the next area being unity. What does that look like? Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in this. My definition of unity is unity is wanting the same thing, not being the same. And we referred to a sporting team before and, and touched on my my forgettable rugby career. But <laughs> the, the, I think the, I just didn't grow big enough, quick enough. And uh, I love the part of the start of international sport, particularly rugby, where they're singing the national anthem and the camera pans across each of the players. And I, I just find it funny. Maybe it's my sense of humor or, 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 or how it works out. But I watch the camera go up and down. I was just thinking exactly that. It could be the short girl in me, but I was thinking, yeah, yeah, they all look different, but also the camera has to go up and down. <laughs> and so you see this, and I think that is a beautiful metaphor of what unity is like. We are not asking any of these players to be exactly the same. They're not identical. Okay. They are in fact very, very different. Their roles are different. Their definitions of success are different. The, the particular part that they play at times of the game is different, but they want the same thing. They want to win the World Cup and they want to be able to uh, celebrate that and hold the William Webb Ellis Trophy up high and say, this is who we are. And I love the idea of unity in mission and diversity in contribution. So when I say objective, that is all about defining the win, or as Brene Brown says, paint done, paint done. Then we go, okay, what's the part that I play in that? I always say to people, if I asked my left hand to do the job of my right foot, I would look strange and it wouldn't work well. And that's, I think, where you pick up this idea in in recruitment, M, the idea of assessing people and then placing them in the role to which they are largely intrinsically motivated to do and looking to how you can can do that and build that. And I think unity is really important. The second part to unity isn't just unity in mission, diversity and contribution, but the second part is we need to function in a way that protects it. 
And we need to function in a way that protects the relationship, the danger of misunderstanding, the the, the dysfunction of gossip, any of those things that begin to erode mm. the unity of a team. Let's be courageous people and call each other up because, as you know, I'm not a big fan of calling out. I think calling up is better than calling out. But let's actually expect more from each other around courage and humility and honesty. And you'd be surprised what happens to a team when it comes to unity, when they handle conflict well. Mm. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the ability to deal with it like a grown-up. Tell us about performance, focus area number three of teamwork. So, again, this is where I think the rubber hits the road around teamwork. You've got to get something done that you're proud of. You've got to deliver. The quarter is coming around. The numbers are due in. Make the widget. Get the job done. Achieve the objective and we should never back away from doing the work to get the result and enjoy the reward. And so again, the whole idea of being part of a team is actually getting something done you're proud of together. That's what this is about. And so it isn't just all the feels when it comes to being in the group and you know, and having that, that sense of um, identity. It's actually achieving something that you're proud of. And this tips over, this is where this tips over in promotable, this tips over into the work, to the output, to the, to the hours, to the commitment, to actually going home tired sometimes because you've done a hard day's work. And I'm feeling like if we go, well, I believed that I could, I built the skill set that I needed, required, desired, and now it's paying, you know, I've got the team around me, we're so strong and now it's paying off. What a good feeling. And I think with that performance piece, it's, it's, going beyond how do I make sure I've done a, a good job too? How do I go above and beyond in that role? Like if we think about the elite athletes, they're not just kind of cutting it. They're going above to win a grand final, to win. What was the cup you talked about? I do watch NRL occasionally with my husband, but I think it is, it's more than just doing well, a job. You can win by one point, but I don't think that they're ever striving to win by one point. Yeah, that's it. So we've talked about mindset, we've talked about skill set and teamwork. Let's talk about the last one on that infinity loop, network. I think the whole idea of network is something that we can put into the the two to five year plan of, of our of our of our listeners in that conversation. And well, in a way, two to five years, because that's a horizon that we can all see and experience, but it really is a lifelong commitment. And network is really about being intentional about building allies inside and outside of your work so that your career and your personal brand and your contribution can continue to develop. Now, my my friend and colleague, Janine Garner, is a networking expert and she talks about this idea of having different people in your network to do different roles. So you bring those people, a couple of people close to you for for a period of time that are your confidants. You've got, I've got someone every single Tuesday asks me how many words I've written on my book. I'm 10,000 words from, from short of sending my book to an editor and every single Tuesday she's a butt kicker right? But she's in my network and it's inspiring me uh, to, to continue to, 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 to do more across that, that particular area. And so when it comes to network, you're actually talking about being the person who builds the people around you that help build your career and you 
help them. Mm. So it's actually an act of service as much as it is an act of self-service. So many of our listeners I know ask us the question, whenever mentors come up, but how do I get a mentor? How do I find a mentor? How do I get a mentor? Um, We haven't got time to go into it, but I'm a massive fan of the idea of mentor moments. So you don't necessarily need somebody who's always there as a consistent or that there's a a sort of set coffee meeting, but you can actually pick up mentor moments. But, you know, I'll have that. I'll talk about that another day. For you, Ro, do you have um, some insights from your own experience about how you've come across and collected these people? Yeah, really great question. And I love the idea of mentor moments because that's a pickup around what you look for. And if you're looking for ways to learn, you'll you'll find them. So the first one is what I said earlier, it's type. There are different people that would help you, will help you do different things. So I have people that help me to be a father before I was a father. It's and people that help me be a speaker, a consultant, sales, various other different parts of our business. I look for people with expertise in those areas. And then the other uh, aspect of it is is it I don't need them in person when I've got access to the World Wide Web. There is so much information. And if you don't want to read it, you can watch it. The second busiest search engine in the world is YouTube. And so there's ways that we can be very specifically mentored in the areas that we want to grow without leaving our home. Well, you've talked about a mentor, well, somebody that you call a mentor in episode one, and I think it was before we started recording today, but you, you said, I've never met them but a mentor of mine. Yeah, I mentioned it. I actually mentioned it. His name is E. James Rowan, Jim Rowan, and he's literally changed my life. His thinking has changed my life. And I I got hold of his stuff. I saw him speak live twice and sadly taken from us in 2009 and uh, passed on. But I still listen to his teaching because he had the foresight to record it and the commitment to, to, to distribute it to people. So... Firstly, you've got to figure out what you want, what you want to get and what you want to give. So the three aspects are type, value and brand. Type is all about where do you want to grow? Who's best on ground? How do I, how do I find that and make sense of it? One thing you can do at work is have a triad lunch. Where and the way and what I mean by that is not the in unethical, immoral, illegal triad. <laughs> I mean the lunch. I mean get two other people commit to a certain pathway of growth and have lunch together once a week. So there's three of you. So if anyone's away, two of you still do it. That's why you do a triad. And then you actually learn to be able to bring out the best in each other in that area. And you can do that for any of the topics. So let's go all the way back to skill set, <laughs> all the way back. <laughs> what are the things that you want to grow in Maybe you can start by being YouTube mentored first and then when you see it in someone. So approaching somebody. Firstly, firstly, most people don't mind being approached. So if they're older, more senior, more professional with more experience and they're a reasonable human, most of them don't mind being approached. They may say yes and they may say no. The question to ask them is, Dave, Sharon, that's, they're my example names for everyone. I've noticed that you are really skilled in, be specific. I would like to buy you a coffee and talk to you for one hour 
about that particular skill and I'll give you some questions that I'd like to talk about beforehand, would that be okay with you? People love having that stuff happen though. If you're like, I've seen it in, in workplaces many times where someone's reached out and done that and and it's actually quite encouraging for the individual to go, oh, okay, I'd love to actually share my, my experience, my skills with someone. It's, it's, uh, it's flattering, but it's also, I think, very validating yeah. because they've put effort into their infinity loop and that's where they start to see not only that that's being recognised, but that there's an opportunity to put it to work, put all their hard effort to work. Absolutely. And most of us want to be able to make some kind of contribution to to an emerging generation. And, and if they don't, it'll come out of them very, very quickly. You probably don't want to pick up. You might want their skills. You don't want their attitude. So it, you can move on to the next person. I saw late last year, I saw this, uh, this young lady in my area advertising my Making the Most of a Year program. And her name's Stephanie, and, and I'm, I looked at what she was doing. She was so excited about my stuff, I got excited about it again. So I actually contacted her and said, what are you doing with this program? She said, oh, it's this, it's that, it's the other. I said, would you like me to turn up <laughs> and talk to your, your, your friends about it? And so I, she actually put together wow. a Zoom room, and I, I, I parachuted into That's her so Zoom room good. and just said, I'd love to be part of it. What can I do? And, yeah. I, and I was able to say, Stephanie's the biz. She's just got the ideas and, and elevate her and affirm her. And she is so motivated and doing a great job. And I had a fantastic time going in and, and just raising someone up. It and was I, brilliant. I think that's a really good example of the mutual benefit of mentoring and network. Usually in most cases, it's mutually beneficial. Like you left that Zoom room probably on a high going, this is so amazing. Like how how epic to be able to give back and then the person receiving that is you know so it's so rewarding so it's it's definitely beneficial to both parties hey do you guys remember last time when we um I had to play bad cop and wrap you up and then we agreed to do a second part I'm not sure if we'll get away with a third part so I'm going to do the five minute call and I think we've got a couple of final focus areas to talk about in network if you don't mind Ro. no it's really the and we run downhill on this and so I think the commitment is also you've got to remember the whole idea behind a network is to give not just get and uh, I think that's really, really important. So be a contributor, not just a taker. If you ask someone to share their skills with you, pay for the lunch and the coffee and, and budget for that. Be generous. And typically, they won't say yes. They'll, they'll take you to lunch. And I had this happen late last year. A handful of um, young leaders asked to hang out. And uh, it was actually ended up being just, just lads. So it was just the boys. So I took my son with me. I took my eight-year-old with me and there was four or five of them. And I just paid at the end. They're students and it wasn't that expensive, relatively speaking, but we love to invest in it. But from the perspective of network, just be a contributor as opposed to a taker. I mean, if you go to network events, which I'm not a huge fan of, I'm, I'm more a I'm more a fan of looking for those like-minded engagements and contacts. And But if you're there... The taker is 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 the awkward, icky one. Like the, the the giver, the one that's interested, not interesting, is the one that really wins the day. And I think the last thing I'd say is that you've got an opportunity over the next two to five years to really think about your personal brand. Um, again, friend and fellow thought leader Jane Anderson uh, talks about personal branding in the context of what it is that you bring and what it is that you give 
not what it is what it is that you get. So think about in the context of your network, what are your superpowers, your contributions, your growth areas, and how can you bring them to an environment where they will improve, people will benefit, and there'll be a mutual sense of, of moving forward? That's a true network in my view. And so when it comes down to this idea of type, where do I want to grow and who's got those skills, be it YouTube or somewhere else, the, the idea of saying, this is what I want to be able to f- focus on. So I'm a value bringer, not a taker. And then how does this actually help me shape my personal brand? And if you want a definition for personal brand, we use it at Thought Leaders. It's, it's that you're known for knowing something. And that oh you need to you need to go to my my millennial career because they finish this sentence. That's why you'd go there, and it becomes really important. And I mean, my hope is this conversation has given you a lot of work to do. That's what my hope is, because as we said earlier, you know, promotable is not something that you sort of sail off into the sunset on. Promotable is something that you do work on that you never ever stop doing, but it's work worth doing. And I think it's worth celebrating as well. So well done, everyone. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, Shell, before you wrap us up, can I just clarify one thing with you, Ron? This infinity loop, we've gone through it, um, mindset, skill set, teamwork, network. Does it happen in that order or are we always working on all four parts at the same time? After a while, you will work on all four parts at the same time. Your career will, will, will speed up in areas and it will function like, a, like a, um, an engine and it'll be moving all these parts forward. If you've never done it before, mindset and skill set are your starting points okay. because they are the, the, the parts of the iceberg under the water and they're the bits that you can be most responsible for. So sort that out first, then move on. To the teamwork network. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Hey, so good to do part two on how promotable am I. Rowan, if we think about that network, how do people find you if they want to get Oh, I love what you did there. Yeah, I know. Michelle, still got it. Can do a segue. So now I'm up for like thousands of dollars in coffee and pizza. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) That's right. So I'm at Rowan at rowandredge.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Rowan Dredge, R-O-H-A-N Dredge. And uh, I'm on a few of the socials and, uh, but most active on, uh, on LinkedIn is probably the best place to connect. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out. We so value your time and all of your advice and We could sit here all night. We could. We could. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating and review. We love your feedback. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Ro. Thanks, Em. Pleasure, Shell. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Money, property, careers, health, small business. We love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life. That's why we've made podcasts focus on a variety of topics. Check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, Gen Z Money, and You To Me, You To You, You To Us, which is just about sexual and reproductive health. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.